You're listening to the Improve Photography Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Improve Photography Podcast. Uh, today, I am joined by my friends Brent Bergherm and Connor Hibbs. Hey guys. Hello. Hello. Well, I know all of us are getting antsy for the for the retreat in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, coming up in just a few weeks. If you haven't gotten a ticket yet and you want to get a, a last-minute ticket to Charleston to come hang out with all of us um, and learn photography, there are just a few tickets left. It is right up to the, to the wire of getting sold out, uh, so something to check out. Um, so what are you guys talking about at the retreat? What are, what are your talks going to be on? I'll be talking about some items related to design in photography. So just being able to analyze our photos and going beyond what we normally learn as photographers as how we talk about pictures, you know, the rule of thirds, basic super stuff like that. I'm going to launch into much further and deeper items. So that's one of my topics I'm looking forward to very much. Cool. And Connor, what are you doing? Um, I, I have three different segments that I'm talking in. Um, all of them have to do with lighting and portraiture because, I mean, what else do I talk about? Um, <laughs> so the, the first one that I have is kind of a, a just beginner's guide to, to flash photography. Then I have um, talking about shooting in a studio setting and the advantages, disadvantages, the fun of doing that. And then my third course is all on um, making making portraits look better through composition and just um, how to strengthen your portraits beyond the basic taking a picture of a person. Very cool. Cool. Well, I'll also have one on camera cleaning. So if people are interested in learning how to clean everything about their camera, I have that. And then planning your first solo trip as well. I have something going on with that too. Very nice. And I'm most of my presentations are on, on landscape photography and night photography. Uh, so nature stuff. So I'm, I'm excited to be doing those. Right on. Excellent. All right. Well, Connor, kind of in the vein of flash photography, as you mentioned, uh, today's episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, usually we try to focus the information on this show to that advanced intermediate um, kind of kind of level of photography uh, where people are, are very competent with the basics and are, they're trying to, to take things a little bit further. In today's episode, we're going to change that a little bit um, and we're going to step way back to a very beginner's guide to flash photography, at least in the first half of this podcast. And so if you are a more advanced flash photographer, I don't know, maybe we got we have a little bit of, uh, of recap for you. Uh, but for those of you who are still struggling with flash photography, we kind of want to go back to the fundamentals and just walk through the basics of it. So guys, I the first question I want to want to ask to kind of guide our discussion is, what's the 90%? You know, like, when you're learning photography in general at first, so many people get wrapped up in the 10% of stuff, which is your mm -hmm. camera settings and, and, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, and they yeah. kind of ignore the 90%. Uh, what gets you 90% of the way there is a really, is really great lighting and really great composition. 
Um, and so in flash photography, I think we know what the 10% is. It's all the crazy flash settings and, and flash ratios and all that kind of stuff that we can just dive into forever. But what's the 90% in your, in your opinion? What's the 90% that will give you the best result with flash? What do you need to focus on to get a good result? I just don't want to lose the forest among the trees in this discussion. <laughs> so maybe I'll toss it to you for, first, Brent. What's sure. the 90% in flash photography? I would say I would I would split it between one of two things. That would be position of the flash and the modifier for the flash. And that is, you know, are you going to put it right close to the camera axis? And that is, you know, right close to where the camera lens is so you're getting more of a flat feel for the light. Or are you going to push it out to the side? Are you going to really go all the way around the subject so they're backlit? Then, of course, the modifier, you can have a light that we call a super soft light. You can... Uh, change that up with uh, what we call more hard light where the shadows are more defined and hard edged. So those understanding that would, I think anyway, be the more the 90% idea because the settings, I think you can get that as you learn the other stuff if you're not you know really comfortable. But my goodness, getting that idea about just what modifiers do what and, and where the positioning, how that plays into it, that's huge. Yeah, I, I would say that my 90% is almost the exact same, honestly. It's it's the positioning of the light or the direction of the light yeah. and the quality of light. So, so Brent, you talked about the modifier itself. To me, I, I think it doesn't matter what modifier you're talking about because the rules of light and the quality of light, thats it's the hardness versus softness of light, kind of apply no matter what modifier you have. So right. soft light is where the, the highlight of the light going into the gradient of the umbra, so the darkest part of the shadow, is really gradual. You have a, a long gradient of shadow between the two of those. Where hard light is where you kind of have the highlight of the light and then a very hard edge and the darkest part of the shadow right after that. And that has everything to do with um, the distance that the light is from the subject or the really it's the relative size of the light compared to the subject. So the bigger your light is either by bringing that light really close to the subject or by having a gigantic softbox is going mm -hmm. to make your light a lot softer. And to me, I think that understanding the quality of light and how to manipulate the quality of the light is one of the most important things to great lighting. Yeah, I definitely agree with both of you that the placement of the light is really really key and the thing that took me a long time to to learn there was that uh, you know i was worried about you know placement of light i was like okay it's in front of the person and to the right i've placed it right um, <laughs> yeah. and then eventually you learn no like one inch to the right actually makes a really big difference if we're mm -hmm. using a little bit of an edgier light uh, you know you're using a, a ginormous five foot softbox and it doesn't matter that much uh, right. but if you're you're using something like a beauty dish i mean inches make a huge difference in the quality of the light the other thing that i would add to you know the 90 percent we we all all of us talked about the placement of the light the other one that i would add to it is shadow um, to me, if you've got good shadows, you've got good lighting. Um, and almost every person who starts out in flash photography, when you set up your flashes, will try to illuminate everything 
in the scene. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, it's like, ah, there's a shadow on the side of their face. Fix it. Fill it in. Um, and then as you progress and you get better with, with lighting, you find that you're focused a lot less on where you put a highlight. You're focused a lot more on where are you going to put a shadow uh, because the shadow makes such a difference uh, in that lighting if you have a good shadow. So to me, that, that's, that fits in the 90%. Absolutely. I would say that, I mean, realistically, a lot of lighting, you're just trying to get a nice neutral exposure with the light itself. And everything else about the placement, the quality of light has to do with the shadows. So paying attention to your shadows is um, one of the most important things that I, I really like that addition that you added there, Jim. So somebody's getting in started in flash photography. Um, I, I started with um, with you know the, the the brand name flashes. Probably paid too much, and then later <laughs> um, I said, "All right, I'm going to step up my flash game, and I'm going to get good at this." And I watched on all the paid tutorials, like all the serious photographers are using Studio Flash, um, and so I bought this very expensive, very cumbersome Studio Flash setup, uh, which I I I definitely see the benefit to Studio Flash. I I don't mean to say it doesn't have a place because it really does for a lot of photographers it's fantastic um but but i guess the next question is if you're getting started in flash what should be your first flash well i if you had said that studio strobes were an issue i was gonna fight you jim because (laughs) i absolutely love studio strobes as much as i love them though I would not recommend that as something that a beginner should use. Um, my recommendation would be to get a Young Nuo Speedlight. They're they're pretty inexpensive. I think that they run somewhere around sixty-ish mm-hmm. dollars, and for you to get a a nice shoot through umbrella for a modifier, a bracket for the flash, the flash and a stand that's going to hold it well. You're looking at maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars at most to get into that. One of my recommendations with that though, is don't look at that and say, Oh, that's really affordable. I'm going to get two because then you're going to feel the obligation to use two. Yes. Which is something totally agree. I did the first time I did that. And something I constantly see people just learning flash doing is they'll grab both of their lights and they'll place them in the exact same position, <laughs> but mirroring each other and and just it, they don't know why they're doing that. It just feels natural. And my the thing that I would advocate more than anything else is get one light and learn how to use that one light until you feel comfortable and actually feel the reason you might want a second one. Feel the limitation of yeah. why that second one might be important rather than just getting two because oh, I can afford it and then feeling like you need to pull both of those out all the time. Great. Tip. I love how you I love how you put that, Connor, because that is a, exactly what I take my students through. I, I teach uh, here at the university a studio course, and that's the first thing we set up is the uh, the, the two lights, and then we talk about how boring that is, and uh, at least they get the technical down. They're they're comfortable then in the studio, and yeah. they can they can be, have confidence there. But then we definitely go beyond that. We we go back to that one light. We take it outside. We do all sorts of good stuff. So it's nice to be able to. Um, you know, to, to kind of hear that from you as well, because we do feel it's just like, oh, you know, we and I've got four lights. Why don't I use them all? No, <laughs> yeah. use them if use them if you need them. 
Use them if you need them. And that and that's something that, I mean, I think when I was first learning lighting, it took me a long time to really realize the value of just a single light because yeah. I really like multi-light setups. I think that they look really cool. So I just, I immediately wanted to hop in and do that. And then sure. everything I shot for a few years was multi-lights. Even when I learned how to use them and how to manipulate them, everything needed a hair light, everything. And, right. and as I developed, I realized, hey, you know what? There are times when one light looks really good, and I would say now more than 50% of the work that I shoot is just using one light. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that, especially about buying one flash at the start. Um, sure. That if you start, if you, you know, I've got to set up a, uh, to light this model and you immediately turn on two flashes, it's going to be a problem unless you're a wizard with lighting. If you've, you're really good with it, you've been doing it for years, you know, you're, you're going to be okay to start with, you know, two, maybe three lights turn on at once and you'll know what each one of them are doing. But that's after you've been doing it for a few years. At the start, if you're going to have more than one light, only turn on one at a time. Start with you one, bet. and then when there's a problem, fix it with another, etc. Uh, I think that's a great thing. Now, uh, another thing I might add here is eventually, as you do become more advanced, you know, maybe you're just the kind of photographer that lights lot that likes a lot of of flash setup. You know, you you're shooting a model with a car. Well, it could be a simple one light setup. It could also be a lot more complicated where you're mm -hmm. lighting, you have flashes hitting all different parts of the car and the model and stuff. And that can work perfectly well, but we build to that. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> Don't overwhelm yourself, especially if you're just starting out. It, it would be very overwhelming to have all of that going on. You just get frustrated, I think. And, you know, focusing on the one light, mastering that, or at least coming, becoming comfortable with it, you know, then build on it from there. Absolutely. One one thing that I want to hop back and say, because this is directed towards beginners and something that I think we all don't realize we just skipped over, is <laughs> in all of this that we're talking about, we're talking about lighting with a flash off the camera. Ah, so your yes, camera has a hot shoe. So you, you're able to put the flash directly on the camera and shoot with a flash that way. And that's that's fine. But the reason that a lot of people avoid doing that is because you end up, if you have the, the flash directed not at a ceiling where you're bouncing the light around the room, if you're outside and you direct that flash directly at the person, it just looks a little bit weird. The light's coming from too low of an angle. It casts shadows directly behind the person. So in general, the first step with flash, I, I think, just realize you're not actually using this flash on the camera all that often. So yeah. instead of shooting with just the hot shoe in that rig that I talked about, having an umbrella, a stand, a flash bracket, and the flash, you also are going to need some sort of trigger for that. So for the, the um, set of flashes that I recommended, the Young Nuo flashes that I like the five, 60? Yep, 560. 560 um, series. And they have a controller called the 560TX. And that allows you to actually control the power output of the flash from your camera instead of having to walk over and adjust it every single time, which doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal. But especially if you're just learning, it's going to make your life so much easier for being able to dial in that flash and really focus on the things that are important about lighting mm -hmm. with flash, which is the, the quality of light. It's that 90%. And it'll help you kind of jump over that hurdle of the technical side, where the first time that I had a flash, I didn't have this 560TX. I had the YN603, which is just a little dongle that sits on, on the camera. And 
I would fire the flash and go, oh, that's too bright. And I'd have to run over behind the person and uh, or run over to where the flash was and adjust the power and then run back and then take another picture and go, oh, now it's too dark and I have to run back over to the flash. And it just really slowed down the whole process. So having a, a controller that you're able to fire this camera off or fire the flash off from your camera is going to be really important. Uh, great. You made some several good points there. And I agree with that exact gear setup. That's my favorite one to use for just my general flash photography. If you are buying, go to improvephotography.com and click on recommended gear. We have links to exactly that setup that Connor's talking about right there. You know, 100 bucks, and you have a really, like a totally professional setup. You could take that same setup and go photograph a celebrity, go on a high-end shoot. That would work perfectly fine. You you know, there are lots of other customized ones you can use, uh, but that I, I think is the best way to go for most photographers. Absolutely. All right. Um, and, and then the other thing you mentioned on camera flash where the flash is just on the hot shoe. And the other thing I'll say with that is um, there are a lot of types of photography where that's just the right answer. Um, you know, Connor, yeah. you mentioned you're photographing a corporate event this week. Well, you know, probably 90% of that is going to be with on camera flash. Uh, you just want a little fill as you're going around the room and getting candids of people. Um, and on camera flash is perfect for that. If you're a family photographer, you're shooting family family portraits. It's going to depend, of course, on your style, but I could certainly see myself shoot if I were shooting family portraits using some on-camera flash just to be a little fill um, for uh, for the ambient light. Um, and, you know, with a lot of people, uh, I'm probably not going to be setting up multiple flashes and with kids running around and stuff, so that may also be a great solution. So it's not that there's anything wrong with on-camera flash. Every photographer uses that sometimes. Just that if we want to make the ultimate portrait, it's probably not going to be on camera flash. Very true. All right. So we have our flash. We understand what the 90% is. What would be some good first projects people could take on to help to learn flash photography? I have my students actually photograph a gray cube. And it has to we, be gray. Are you, does it have to be, <laughs> a red be cube isn't going to work. <laughs> It, it could be anything else, really, but I like the re I like doing the gray because it's super easy to measure the values and to see exactly are they getting the light even? Are they controlling the light the way they're supposed to? So they angle it at forty degree, forty five degrees uh, to the camera, and so they have to control the light so that's evenly lit. And then it's uh, we start getting into di uh, lighting ratios. Uh, we start with a light on top as well, and so we just have these matte surfaces that are middle ish gray. And so it's just really easy to measure in Photoshop. Are they getting the tones right? That's just about the mechanics, though. If you want to go further than that, you know, certainly grab a person that you're comfortable with that hopefully is comfortable in front of the camera as well. Uh, that can certainly be good to bring it out of that. But if you're just purely learning only, at least that's how I start my students off. Yeah, cool. I, I I would suggest something very similar. To me, I think that a sphere is a little bit more appealing um, just yes. because you can see the way that light falls off on on curves, which is how faces are. You don't have hard yeah. angles. Um, but I, I really say that the first kind of project that you should do to really just start to understand the light that you have is to shoot an inanimate object that's not going to move, that you can move your light in and further away and around the subject and yeah. just see the way that, that that is. Something else that I would say is if you're going to be doing that, um, set your camera up on a tripod. You don't necessarily Definitely. need 
to to be holding the camera and looking through it because if you set it up on the tripod you can actually see as the flash goes off you can see where it's falling on the face really mm-hmm. quickly and then you can assess the picture afterwards where you say okay this is what it realistically looks like this is how i see it through my eyes in the moment um so when i set up my flashes i often will pop them two or three times before i even take a picture because i can kind of quickly glimpse exactly where the placement is and notice what i'm paying attention to so i would say start out with an inanimate object until you feel comfortable with how moving a light closer or how moving a light further away or around the subject is going to change the way that shadows fall on that subject and then once you're comfortable with that you can bring in a person because then you're not gonna be fumbling and worried about oh man this person's gonna get really tired of sitting here while i'm doing this you then understand at least a little bit of okay i think that if i move it a little closer it's gonna change the way that this looks and it's gonna look nicer i agree yeah i started by photographing a a racquetball on just a table Uh, and you might want to get something bigger i think it might be easier if you know use a basketball (laughs) or something um it is more similar to the size of a head um but but it really does change everything once you see how that works um you know see what the light modifier actually does and and that can help a lot after that point once you've kind of mastered that you're kind of seeing how the principles work i would suggest for the next several months just working off recipes just you know seeing you know go watch connor's class on on improved photography plus and see where he's putting the light and then you go recreate that exact setup um i have a class on there as well lighting in a flash go take some of those where you're like oh that was cool and it didn't look too hard i think i can do that and then go recreate 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 um and then you'll learn kind of the nuance of okay i i have now I have the general, uh, the general lighting dialed in. This is kind of how they have it. And then you'll learn, ooh, one inch to the left, one, one inch to the right, and you can learn some of the nuance. The other thing is uh, that that will do is kind of just keep you from doing kind of wild stuff like we talked about, <laughs> just like filling in every shadow uh, or just way too bright or too dark or just things that are just common mistakes. Follow some recipes for a while. And then you, each time you follow a recipe and you say, ooh, that worked, now it's in your repertoire. And the next time you're out shooting, you're going to think, oh, cool, I can actually put a softbox behind the person's head on low power and use that as a white background while we're outdoors on a shoot. You know, you can learn all kinds of cool things once you've followed lots of those recipes. Yeah, absolutely. I I think that a part of this is just understanding that when you're starting out, you don't know what you don't know. So being able to follow recipes of that sort really helps you to show, okay, well, this is somebody who has work that I think looks really nice, and this is the thing that they're doing. So that's, well, what you said. That way you don't do the crazy stuff and think it looks good and then realize after the fact, a little bit further down the road when you learn more, where you go, oh, that was actually really weird. I didn't like that at all. Um, I just didn't know that that didn't look quite right at the time. And I was just excited about the fact that I had created a new thing. So um, yeah, following along with people that have work that you respect is a great tip. Yeah, I think that actually works the same as in landscape and nature photography. So often we hear photographers saying, you know, don't just go to the popular spots and recreate other people's shots. And I always think, okay, I get the point. Yes, you're right. You should use your own creativity and, and create things. But as a learning tool, that's a fantastic practice. 
go to Absolutely. those very famous spots and just learn to make it like masters of photography have done uh, that made the spot famous in the first place. And then it, it, it kind of solidifies in your eye. Ooh, that's what I'm looking for. This is what the landscape needs to look for. This is what my positioning needs to look for. And then you've learned one more recipe of something that works. And then as you're driving around a dirt road someday and you're like, hey, that's a good spot to stop and shoot because you've seen other kind of similar famous places. And and I think it really works the same in, in flash photography. Learn from other people's recipes is a great way to go. Absolutely. Another way to learn from other people is not just watching them shoot, but just looking at great pictures on 500px or Instagram and learning to read the light. Once you can tell, oh, that's a flash picture, that's ambient light. That's a starting place. And then once you say, okay, this is a flash picture, somebody skilled with flash photography can look at any flash image and know almost exactly how the light lighting setup was done because you kind of learn how to read read other people's images yeah absolutely okay so we get somebody who's uh, started they got their their beginner gear uh, and they followed a few a few recipes to get started how do you take it further what takes it from that kind of beginning thing that that 90 percent and now let's move into kind of the 10 percent what do you focus on for that next year after you're competent to really develop your skill? Oh man, that's that is <laughs> quite a question. <laughs> There's so I, many ways you could take that, I think. Yeah, I I would say that one of the things that I tend to advocate for a lot is um be critical of your work. Mm-hmm. Like really look at your work and see, okay, is this something that is as good as it could be? And just find a thing about your photo where you say, you know what, this was fine at the time because I wasn't focused on it, but now that I'm looking at the photo after the fact, I realize that I probably could have done this better. And then think through the way that you could do that thing better and have a plan in place so that the next time you do a shoot, you can actually work to fix that. Um, so th- just just intentional practice and repetition of things is, is probably I, – I mean, it's a thing that I still do today with my work. I think that that is the – constantly trying to close your gap through being self-aware of the things that you're doing. That's a weird way to put that. Yeah, no, no, it makes sense. Yeah. What do you think, Brad? I would, I would, um, one thing that I wrapped my mind around pretty uh, early after, you know, after getting those basics figured out was the idea of what we call rear, rear curtain sync. And that is if you're photographing a moving object Usually the flash, when you're doing a flash photo, it happens at the beginning of the frame. And you can actually, on some models of of flashes, you can tell it to fire off at the end of your exposure. And so if you were to drag your exposure a little bit, so you have like maybe a quarter second of exposure or maybe a full second of exposure, and you're allowing whatever subject to blur through your frame a little bit, and then you pop it with light, uh, that that can be really fun too. Of course, depending on your subject and all that, but that can be really fun to experiment with. Good tip. Yeah, and I, I, and I forgot one. And when we were talking about that first year of doing flash, one of my very favorite ways to teach flash photography um, is to take a night portrait. I think a oh, night yeah. portrait is probably <laughs> the ultimate way to learn flash photography because you have no ambient light messing things up, and 
all you see is the flash. Um, and so it's, it makes it so quick to learn what mm-hmm. every single flash looks like, what the modifiers look like. You can just tell instantly if you practice with, uh, with night, doing a night portrait. Yeah, Jim, you're starting to step into the territory of why I love studio portraits and things that I'm going to be talking about at the retreat. Yeah, you know, I always say the same thing when somebody's learning photography. Like if you want to learn aperture, ISO, and shutter speed, I I would love every time I I teach that, every once in a while I'll get, you know, a youth group or something will say, okay, come come teach us photography and I'm teaching the basics again. I always say, great, let's meet at 10 p.m. We're going to go take pictures of the stars as the very first thing we shoot because it takes everything in slow motion. And you can see, obviously, the difference between a 30-second shutter speed and a one-second shutter speed. All you have to do is try that once, and it's intuitive. Mm -hmm. You get it. Uh, you, you understand focus immediately because if the stars are out of focus, I mean, you get it right away. What focus to infinity <laughs> means, you, you understand that right away. Um, yeah. it, you know, you, you can, and the ISO, you can actually see the noise in the picture. So like, man, if you take somebody out doing night photography, if the, who's brand new, man, in five minutes, you can do what would take them months to learn uh, about the basics of photography. Absolutely. Yeah. I I think it's just a matter of pushing yourself to extreme circumstances to really see how all of those things work. And, and that that it's the exact same with studio photography when it comes to flashes, when you're entirely in the dark or in effective dark, where you can kind of see around the room, but your camera's not going to see anything based on its settings. You really, you're not focused on any of the technical side of how your camera needs to operate because those settings are dialed in and everything else is all about where to place the flash, how to power the flash. The technical side of stuff um, really becomes much clearer in focus when you have nothing else distracting from the image. Yeah, I yeah I definitely agree with that. Okay, so um, we, we got people kind of up to speed um, now on fl- on flash photography. We talked about some of the ten percent. Let's get into a little bit of the technical stuff. Um, so there are basically two different ways you can get your exposure from your flash. The first is manual, where if the flash is too bright, you turn it up, and if it's too dark, you turn it down. Um, or I said that backwards. If the flash is too <laughs> bright, you turn it down, and if it's too dark, you turn it up. Um, you just have to press the button each time. And the other one uh, is more like shooting in automatic mode um, or aperture priority um, or a priority mode anyway on your camera where it's trying to figure out the light value and then you just tell it generally brighter or darker. Um, And so there are valid, both ways are perfectly valid. I know professional photographers who shoot both ways, manual or ETTL. Um, I just want to kind of take a poll here. Uh, What do you do? I'm I'm an all manual guy. I am all manual for probably 80% of the time that I use flash. The other 20% would be if I'm just trying to give a little bit of pop and it's an on-camera flash, then I'll go ahead and use the camera's ETTL. But if it's not that and it's off-camera, it's definitely manual for me. Yeah, I I honestly, I don't think that I have ever owned flashes that had ETTL capability. Um I, I think even if I did, I would still stay in the manual side of things. But that's because everything that I do is about control and controlling exactly the way that something looks. And um, for that reason, I don't really like having the 
automatic modes for for my camera or for my flash because that means that the camera's software is telling me what it thinks is right and especially the style of portraiture that i shoot tends to be really dark i like dark portraits and if i was using um ttl modes it would think that that scene that black paper i'm shooting somebody against is underexposed which technically it is but it's supposed to be and it's going to then pop a bunch of light to try and compensate for that and balance everything out and it's just going to blow out the skin and just not look how i want it to so i really for that reason like having the manual control both in my camera and on my flash uh, for all the exact same reasons, I totally agree with you, Connor. I, I and and like Brent said, there are times that I do. It is handy to have ETTL, like like fill flash at an event like that, where you don't want to have right. to you know push it up and down every single time, and you kind of want some some intelligence from from the flash itself. But almost every time, I just think it's easier with manual. And at least for me, when I teach Flash, I would always recommend somebody go with manual to start. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's easier to do manual Flash than it is to do uh, ETTL. I think a more experienced photographer can use ETTL just fine. But the problem Mm -hmm. with ETTL for... um, for an inexperienced photographer is what you talked about, Connor. Like, let's say you shoot a picture and you say, okay, it's it's too bright now. And then you pull the camera up to take a second picture. And now you change your composition just a little bit. And now it shows more of the person's white shirt. Uh-oh, flash is uh, going to change. Um, yep. And so now you're saying, well, what's happening here? And you didn't realize, oh no, it wasn't anything wrong with the flash. It's just, you showed more of the white shirt this time. And so the overall exposure changed. And so it messes yeah. it up. And that's very frustrating to a new photographer who doesn't understand why that kind of thing is happening. And so I think manual is way easier to learn on. All right, we've uh, kind of given a good basics intro uh, to f- to flash photography. Um, we want to talk just briefly about setting up um, a portfolio website. Um, this is something that uh, that Brent has been working on. You've been uh, having different things, so let's just take a quick poll on this. If what is your favorite solution for setting up a, a photography portfolio site? For me, I, I would still stick with Squarespace. Uh, they are an advertiser on the show, but they're not paying us to say that. We can say whatever we uh, we recommend. Um, in the past, I used WordPress, and it was just a little bit too clunky. Um, even though I, I am very familiar with WordPress, and I love it for making a site in general, it felt just a little clunky to me as a portfolio site. And so I think a Squarespace or a Wix um, can be something that's uh, just the simplest way to go. Uh, Connor, what, what, what's your pre- preference for a pr- portfolio site? Well, currently I am also using Squarespace. I've, I've been kind of eyeballing Wix because my contract with Squarespace is going to be up in the next month or so. And I'm considering moving over there because it seems pretty much the same for a dollar or two cheaper a month, which um, short term doesn't mean that much. But if I'm going to be keeping my portfolio website up for years, Hopefully they would keep that price a little bit lower than Squarespace and that would remain competitive. But a site like that is just, it's easy enough for me to be able to throw it together and not have to worry too much about just going in and uploading stuff. But I also didn't really care to take the time to do WordPress sites, which I know a lot of people that have WordPress sites really advocate for them. And I believe that Brent has one. Is that correct? I am definitely a WordPress user. I teach WordPress here at the school as well to my students, my design students, and it's just extremely flexible and customizable. So 
like what I have now, though, the students are very much struggling because they're just not familiar with WordPress. And there is some technical components that are just foreign to us when we're when we're dealing with that because there's there are some technical hurdles you have to overcome. The reason I really like it, though, is the customizability that I have. And I found a plugin that I just love using uh, for basically one primary reason. And that's the Enviro plugin for my galleries. And so when I showcase the images, I'm using that plugin. And for instance, on my homepage at brentbergham.com, I will change that gallery out frequently. And I don't even have to log into my website to do it. I use a Lightroom plugin. And so my Lightroom Classic connects to my website and it just updates the images and it's just wonderful. It's very easy to do so I can do it from anywhere that I have an internet connection and that I have my Lightroom catalog available. It's just it's just really smooth. That's one thing I actually dislike about any other solution is just I have to log in. I have to export my images. I have to log in. I have to upload. I have to set them up in this you know gallery or whatever. I wanted a simple solution, and I'm so glad I found it. Cool. Uh, so, do you do you mix in your your uh, like selling workshops and stuff? You have that on the same site as as your portfolio, right? Yes, all my personal stuff that I do is on the one site, separate from my lens company. the The lens company only items are still at my other site, Brentrens Lenses. So, yeah, my workshops are there under the Travel with Me item. Uh, I've got my book. I actually several years ago published a book on my uh, adopted hometown, Walla Walla, uh, Washington. So I've got a, an inactive blog, which this summer I'm hoping I can actually uh, pull it out and start actually blogging regularly. So uh, I, I do a lot of other stuff on my website for sure. And it looks like you have some workshops coming up. I do. Uh, the ones in Charleston, I have one seat left for my Sunday workshop. So I'm su- super happy that uh, both of my workshops in Charleston are nearly sold out. That's really nice. Uh, the one coming up first this summer is to Ireland. And one of the interesting things, I have uh, a female that's ready to click the button, ready to go. She just doesn't want to go. She's hoping that she can have another female tagging along. So if you're out there, you're a female and you're just like, well, is someone else going to be there I can share a room with? Yes, there is. So uh, click on over to my website, brentbergham.com. Check out the Ireland description there. We're going to go to Southwest Ireland. That's uh, Ring of Kerry, Dingle Peninsula. Uh, going to look at some of the islands, uh, certainly Abbey's Castles, and one of the only waterfalls in Ireland will also be photographing. So lots of fantastic stuff. Six days just shooting all the beautiful stuff on the Emerald Isle. Ah, that is awesome. I loved yeah. my trip to Ireland last year. So fun. Uh, and we had a great, great group over there. So anybody interested in Ireland, definitely check that one out. It's it's just amazing. Yes, absolutely. All right. The doodads of the week. Connor, what do you have for us? Um, I have a Zoom H4n Pro, which is a digital audio recorder. Ooh. I've been doing a lot more video as of recent, and I realized pretty quickly that the preamps in Canon cameras for recording audio, even with an external microphone, are just terribly noisy. Mm. They're, it's <laughs> something that you can kind of fix in post-processing, but it just it doesn't sound great even after that. So I have the Zoom H4n Pro. It's a kind of chunky um, brick of an audio recorder, but it has input jacks for two XLR camera or microphones. It has two internal microphones that you can change the the pickup um, pattern from a 90 degree to 120 degree, depending on if you have a person in front of you or if you're setting it in between you and another person while you talk. And it has another um, 3.5 millimeter 
jack for an, another mic in the back. So I can record multiple channels of audio from multiple mics into this thing, which is just fantastic for all the video work that I've been doing. Very cool. You know, I'm going to put mine there right next to yours because mine is similar. Mine is actually the Zoom H6. Um, and oh, so I thought maybe right. I could I could highlight the difference between the two um, I, after owning both. Um, I I love the H4N and, and it's $249. It's $100 cheaper, um, $249. And so if you're most people, that's probably what you should get. The audio quality is going to be the same um, on the on the two of them. The only thing that made me jump to the to the H six eventually, which which I did really like, is that it has the separate knobs for the gain on each of the inputs, which was beautiful, um, and yeah, I I really did like that. But I there are lots of other little things about it but that was the one that i thought oh okay i'm buying uh and that that did turn out to be handy for me so i'd recommend the zoom h6 which again i will renew my my uh, no new gear this year i purchased before 2018 <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> so to get the audio to the computer you just it looks like it saves it to an sd card and then you just pop that in your computer is that how it goes yep yep that's correct okay. you have a, a ton of different folders that you can save stuff out to and you just pull out the sd card i have a dedicated card just for my audio that i pull out put on to the computer and then just have um, i edit in final cut and i just have yeah. final cut sync all the audio together very oh, good. One other thing about Zooms, a little bit of a, a warning if it a, a applies to you. Most people use these on battery power as you're going around. Mm -hmm. If you do use them with AC power, you know, you're going to plug them into the wall, like use it for podcasting, something like that. Um, I found consistently, I owned four of them, I think, uh, over the years. And all of them, after some time, you could hear the when they were plugged into plugged into power. All of them did fine when they were new, but eventually they all developed that same problem and that's going from you know several of those different zooms i owned so that is a consistent issue so if you are going to buy it to be plugged in all the time um just be aware of that hmm. my doodad of the week is a pack safe cam safe the medium size it's a protective camera insert so what i finally settled on as my as i was searching for a, a new backpack because I still love my uh, shoulder bag, but I wanted a backpack solution as well. I went with a non-photo backpack, and so I needed something to hold my gear, and so I bought this item, and it's working perfectly. So really liking how that's working out. Awesome. Well, it was great talking with you guys. Thank you for taking the time to be on, and I am Absolutely. really looking forward to actually being in the same room as you guys again uh, at the retreat in just a few weeks. Absolutely. Yeah. It'll be fun. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye.